You are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Flowers just smell darn good, am I right? Well, that is thanks to our sponsor for this episode of Rootbound, Fragrance. So next time you stop to smell the roses, thank Fragrance. Ah, smells good. Listen. I'm standing here in the middle of a forest near my home in Virginia. This is Steve, by the way, the host of the podcast, but you probably already knew that. But yes, I'm standing here in a forest, and that sound that you're hearing... ...is the sound of water droplets filtering through the leaves of the trees. Now, it was just raining quite a bit, but it's actually not raining anymore. This is just the remnants of the water coming from the top of the canopy down to the forest floor. I'm actually not getting wet right now either because most of the water, it seems, is making its way, filtering down to the trunks and running down the trunks of the trees. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite a moment right now. But why am I in a forest at the moment? Well, it's because it is pawpaw season and I'm out on the hunt for the elusive pawpaw. But this is not the pawpaw episode. We did that a while back. Go ahead and give that a listen. I'll put a link in the show notes. But this, oh, there's a spider web. <laughs> when you're in the forest at this time of year, very early, you have to make sure that you don't walk right in the middle of a spider web. How do I get through you, little buddy? Okay, here we go. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. So, yes, I'm uh, searching for the elusive pawpaw. Go back and listen to that episode. I'll put a link in the show notes. But this is not the pawpaw episode. We're going to be talking about a different plant today, and we're only going to be talking about one plant. We have a really special guest, and I wanted to do more of these episodes where we talk about just one plant, but it's not something from my secret list of plants. This is not a plant that I have a lot of connection to, or at least I didn't think I did. So this is going to be a really fun episode. I'm really excited to meet our guest. She's just a font of knowledge. Uh, if you're on Instagram, you may know her as Blue Ridge Botanic. So let's meet her. But first, let's just listen to a little bit more of these lovely forest sounds. Hi, Nina. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Hi there. So this is a little bit of a different episode um, because we're only going to be talking about one plant, but this is not a plant that I actually have super connection with. But I know, Nina, that you you know a lot about this plant and it's something I'm very curious about. So Nina, would you like to share what plant we're going to talk about today on this episode of Rootbound? Sure. We are going to talk about violets. Cool. I... I'm very excited about this because it's one of these plants I literally, I, well, later I'll talk about it. I realized recently there's actually something that actually is quite meaningful to me about this plant, um, but I didn't realize it till recently. But but other than that, I don't really have a lot of connection to it, but I'm very curious. And also, I looked up a few fun facts and dazzling details 
that I'm hoping maybe I can surprise you with some fun facts, even though you are quite knowledgeable about this plant. But we'll see. Um, I'm not. I'm not confident. I can. Oh, I'm very excited. <laughs> I hope that you can. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, let, let's let's start off just like any normal episode with with why this plant is meaningful to you personally. Sure. Okay. Well, it's funny. I have violets have been my favorite flower since I was very young. And I'm not exactly sure as to why, but I mean, going back to, I don't know, like fourth grade when we had to do our first nonfiction report, I chose violets. I just have always loved them. And I do think, though, that some of it probably has to do with my dad's influence because it was the favorite flower of his favorite aunt. So he had an aunt who was, well, I never met her. She was born about 100 years before I was born, but she was his father's sister and she was epileptic. Hmm. And at that time, of course, being a woman, you didn't have a whole lot of options. Hmm. And uh, then you add on epilepsy, and then, you know, you really have no options. So mm -hmm. marriage wasn't an option for her. Working, of course, wasn't an option. So her brother took her into his family, and she helped raise my father. Yeah. And my father adored her. But one day they couldn't find her. And so they looked all through the house and finally ran outside and they found her lying dead in a bed of violets oh, with a wow. little bouquet of violets in her hand. Oh so, you know, it was a, it, I'd always heard that story and it was I, I find it really touching, you know, mm. I think for him, it was a little bit, you know, kind of traumatic and heartbreaking, but I just find it just, I don't know, it's just, it, it was, it was very touching. And of course, very Victorian, too. I just have this kind of vision of, of her lying there. But, but anyway, that was obviously her favorite flower. And I think through those stories, and um, kind of his adoration of her, it all eventually transferred <laughs> onto the flower. And um, so, yeah, it's my favorite flower. Wow. That, I mean, that, I mean, there's a very tragic, but also you said there's like a very, I mean, there's a poetry in that image yeah. Yeah. and also just like, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't know what to say, but what a, what a touching story. And yeah. I, I do think, I do think plants have this really amazing ability to like, transfer their joy across generations which is really something that's come up on the show a lot and uh, mm -hmm. that is really interesting that you say that it also um reminds me i'm trying to find now here i think there's a i think there's a quote from shakespeare about violets um that i saw that i didn't write down which i, thought, I think it's from hamlet i'm trying to find it audience <laughs> excuse me while i google this um Oh, that's funny. Because uh, I, I'd give you some violets, but they are all dried up when my father died is a quote. I think oh. who said that? I think it might be Ophelia who says that. Um, Very interesting. And wow. so, yeah. Um, well, anyway. it's interesting yeah. you say that wow. because I actually have a quote from Shakespeare too. It is different. And it actually is associated with pansies, which are, of course, in the violet family. They are a viola. But 
Shakespeare did refer to violets quite often in mm. in his plays. So, yeah. Well, that's interesting. interesting. I didn't. Yeah. I had not heard that one before. That's pretty cool. I love it. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it's. I, I'm not audience if I'm wrong about this because I'm only looking at some snippets. I think it's from that famous scene where where Ophelia is giving flowers to people and, and telling them what they're for. And and I think that's that's maybe the kicker of that speech. Um, but but yeah, really, wow. What, what a moving story and, and a really interesting way to to acquire your favorite flower and have that connection to history and family is really, really moving. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I, like I said, I, I, I don't know if that's exactly why, but I feel certain that, as you say, you know, there was sort of this transference and flowers often do that. So, mm. um, so yeah, it's always been a favorite. Very interesting. And what you just mentioned, I only literally learned yesterday um, that pansies are also in the same genus as, as violets. I did not know that until that's I was trying right. to uh, get some. So that's really fascinating to me too. I didn't, I didn't realize, I guess there's some, many of them are hybrids, I guess. That's I, right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. As a matter of fact, um, we really didn't even have pansies until like around 1812. So they Whoa. are, yeah, yeah. A modern invention. It's a modern invention. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's kind of an interest, interesting story there because I guess this woman by the name of Mary Bennett and her gardener set out to cultivate them. Well, cultivate the wild Johnny Jump Up. So they started to do that. And then sort of like pansy fever swept through several nations. And within a few years, there were all these pansy societies popping up all over. Like in 1845, there was the Scottish Pansy Society. So it's kind of interesting that, yeah, they just really took everybody by surprise and people loved them. And that- well, I love that. There's, I feel like I feel like we're not as a, we're not like as a, as people involved in enough flower based societies. Uh, you know? <laughs> That's <laughs> that, right. That it's like so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that yeah. sweet? Yeah. yeah. I mean, apparently they were everywhere. These little societies, which is is very very cute. I love that. Yeah. So you mentioned something before. Now I think there's probably you mentioned Johnny Jump Up and you mentioned Shakespeare, who was much earlier than 1800. So I su assume he wasn't writing about the pansies. That are like the cult, right? Of, yeah, that's right. an interesting historical yes. thing. I want to get to the bottom of. No, now. that's an excellent point, and I um I thought of that too, and I think they were referring to the Johnny Jump Up, mm -hmm. which is a very close relative or cousin, I guess you would say, of violets, but in their original form, the Johnny Jump Up was quite fragrant, just like. The European violet is very mm -hmm. fragrant. And so the word pansy actually comes from the French word pensée, which means to think. And oh. apparently uh, pansies were, or Johnny Jump Ups, as we know them, were supposed to sort of help your lover think of you. So they were often given as love tokens. Oh. But it made me wonder too, because when you think, I don't know if this is true for you, but very often, well, I think it's true for everybody, but fragrance and scent, you know, has this incredible ability to transport us through time, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. to make us think of things that, you know, we weren't thinking of before we smelled the flower. So I wonder too, if 
if that association with thought actually has to do with the fact that it's a fragrant flower. So Mm -hmm. anyway. Very, very interesting. Yes. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been talking about pansies. Maybe we should get into the violet. The violet. (laughs) I mean, what what is the the most violet of the violets. Okay, so I think the violet that most people associate with is the viola odorata. Yeah, okay, and that is like the, when you think of like, I like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with, with violets, but like when I think of violets, I think of like Europe. And I think yes. of, and that is that like the European violet that like comes to my brain that when I think of the image of a violet. That's exactly right. And that's the very fragrant one. And, uh, Perfumes, of course, were made out of violets, and very often people carried them and ate them because the fragrance would sweeten their breath. So you can even still find today there are these little candies that are made that are violet-flavored candies. They're more common in Europe, but there is a company still here in the U.S. that makes it, I think. I can't remember the name of the company. Maybe Highlands? I can't remember. Anyway. I was not afraid to tell the audience to Google it on this show. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feel free to Google it. I'm going to do that later for sure. Yeah. So so I think that is, yeah, that is definitely the violet that most people, you know, sort of associate with. Of course, we do have native violets here in North America. I was um, wondering that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, but they are not fragrant here. So yeah, they don't have a fragrance. Huh. Interesting. Well, let's talk about the the this European violet. Sure. What, what are some fun facts and dazzling details about this flower? Okay, very cool. Well, we get the word violet from the Greeks. There is an origin story about the violet, and the story goes that Zeus uh, was wandering around one day and noticed a beautiful maiden by the name of Io, and so. You know, he pursued her and they developed a relationship, but in order to keep her from the jealous eyes of his wife, Hera, he turned her into a cow. And, yeah, that was <laughs> an I was interesting choice. I was expecting, because <laughs> Zeus turned out a bunch of people in the flowers, I feel like. I was expecting him to turn her into a violet, but not a cow. A cow, yeah. Okay. So, so... Then she was forced to eat all kinds of grasses and forbs and things like that she wasn't used to. Uh, So she cried and cried, and Zeus took pity on her and turned her tears into violets so that she would have something sweet to eat. Ah, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So that's supposedly the origin story of violets, and that's where we get the word violet because, you know, within that word is the name Io. I see. And yeah. I wrote some stuff down about etymology with this Greek word Io and Ion, which may, maybe, maybe you know this. Can I transition to one of my, it's irrelevant, Please one do. of my, my yeah. uh, things that maybe surprise you. So I was trying to figure that out and that you totally clarified this. Yes, violet. And at some point somebody, uh, I, so I was reading that the word viola, which is the genus, there's a Latin word that means uh, uh, joy or victory. And I think the, the the instrument is also the viola comes from that. And so there's probably some etymological link between Io, because there's the, the, the Greek word for the flower was Io or, or Ion or Eo, something like that. 
But then with the with the Romans, this word to have joy, I think maybe there's a merging there with the V because the, the German word was Vitula, I guess. And so I may, I, I'm just speculating here, this joining of the IO with the Vitula, you get a VIO. Very Let. interesting. Okay, you have surprised me, Steve. <laughs> so <laughs> that I, is but, a dazzling detail. I love it. But even more surprising, I, I when I was looking into this, and maybe you know this, is um the word iodine is related to the you know the the chemical, the <gasps> element iodine is related to violets in the fact that iodine, pure iodine produces a, a purple vapor. And so when when chemists were naming it back in the day they called it iodine in reference to its color, which is looks like the violet. Oh my goodness. So that I have done is it again. You've oh, done it again. I did wonderful. not know that. Oh, wonderful. I love it. I love it. Great. I love it. That's great. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, it's interesting that they're associated with joy because I do know that they also are associated with Aphrodite. And they were considered Aphrodite flower, or I should say the Greeks called them Aphrodite flowers. Oh, um, I don't think they were her official flower, but they were referred to as Aphrodite flowers. And they were very often associated with love and used in love potions. Oh. Yeah. And I, you know, that may have something to do with the fact that the leaves are heart-shaped Mm, you know, mm, that, that makes um, sense. so a little bit of sort of doctrine of signatures, I guess, but they also have a long sort of medicinal use uh, for heart conditions. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Like, well, what, and yeah. science has recently confirmed that they are, or I should say the leaves of a violet uh, plant are a, a diuretic. Mm. So I think it's kind of interesting when you think about sort of very often heart conditions, you know, have, there are problems associated with water retention. Mm. Like when you think about, mm. you know, congestive heart failure and things like that, there's very often a lot of water retention. So the fact that they're a diuretic, you know, may at mm. some point have been you know, kind of associated with that. But they were also used for for grief, for, uh, you know, helping people alleviate grief mm -hmm. and, you know, as well as strengthening the heart. So you just think about, you know, love and grief and all of those kinds of things that are heart-related. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, a flower of the heart for sure. Flower um, of the heart, right. <laughs> So you've mentioned this a few different times in passing, um, but I don't. Well, I guess I guess I knew that violet syrup was a thing, but I don't think I don't really think I put violets in the class of like edible flowers. But they mm. they are, I guess. Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. Can we talk about that? What's what's sure. their uses? Yeah. Yeah. So well, in Sweden, it is considered good luck to eat flowers in the springtime. Hmm. So a lot of people used to just wander around and nibble on on violets and and of course they're a, a spring bloomer you know they're one of the first mm. you know blooms of spring and as i mentioned before you know they're very highly perfumed so often people would eat them to to freshen their breath as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um 
Also, people for centuries have uh, done what's called sugaring violets, which is where you'll you can dip them in a little a little bit of egg and then coat them in sugar, and it sort of you know preserves the flower. And you can you often see them on little cakes and things like that, or you can just you know sort of eat them eat mm. them straight as a little sweet treat, but. Yeah, so the the flowers have been used for that purpose, but the plant itself has been used medicinally for centuries. As a matter of fact, the Romans, now I don't know if this is true or not, but <laughs> the Romans believed that violets would would help you avoid a hangover. So, oh. yeah, so they would create this very special violet wine that oh. they would drink. Yeah, and they would also scatter the violet flowers all over the banquet tables in order for people to just kind of nibble on the flowers as they were drinking their wine to avoid hangovers. <laughs> I, I'm so, going to try that. I'm going to yeah. add that to my list. You got you to do it before or during your drinking? I'm not mean, really that... sure, but okay. it's, it's, I'll, you I'll, could I'll, experiment. I'll, I'll let you know. I gotta find a good source of a lot of uh, violets next time we yeah, out on the town. Um, absolutely. Yeah, really fascinating. Um, do you do you have like a regular practice of using violets in some kind of edible manner? Well, I do. I have made like a violet syrup in the past, which is where you just take the the violets and you can, you know, put them in like a, a sugar water and the and the the actual color of the violet will infuse into the sugar water. So you get this beautiful purple syrup. And I've also used them to make vinegar, uh, violet oh, cool. vinegar. Yeah. So, so yeah, there are lots of ways to use it. And then the leaves themselves are actually really, really high in vitamin A and vitamin C, uh, even more so than say spinach. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, um, so I you just throw some, them in a salad, yeah, or you, you cook them, or, or throw them in a salad. Mm. Throw them in a salad. Yeah, mm. it, I would now. I recommend doing that early in the spring when they're first uh -huh. coming out because they can get tougher as mm -hmm. um, the season goes on, and the leaves are are very sort of mucilaginous. So oh. yeah, so they were often used well to create a cough syrup and also to particularly with children to help them with constipation. Oh, so interesting. Apparently huh. that helps kind of clear you out. And I also read that early on in the African-American community, they were referred to as wild okra and were ah. used, yeah, were used for um, in soups and stews to kind of thicken things much like, you know, okra, okra does for say a roux or Something like when that, you said so. mucilaginous, I was about to ask, could you use it as soup? Because I was thinking yeah. sassafras leaves, which yeah, which, like which, which is yes, also like used a similar way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to think about that. I've just been experimenting with the sassafras. The uh, what 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 do they call that? The I'm blanking on the word for what powdered sassafras leaves is called. Oh, uh, what is it called? <sighs> it's a Google special one. term. Yeah. Um, Sassafras powder is called 
Filet, filet. That's right. That's yeah, because right. it's that's gumbo. The, yeah, and it's the the French word for string because it gets very stringy. Mm. Is where the filet comes from. But I was I've been experimenting with that. My I have some Cajun roots, and our we were we were roux gumbo people. We didn't use filet, but I, oh, I have okay. some sassafras around here, and I've I've experimented with it. But but in a pinch, um, may, you can try to make a gumbo with uh, with violet with leaves. violet leaves. Yeah. Interesting, <laughs> cool. That's very cool. Now, like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with violets. I also feel like my sense of smell is my weakest sense. Um, and describing smells on a podcast is hard <laughs> and maybe taste, but maybe could you explain a little bit like what, like what do they smell like? What makes them interesting with both smell and taste? Like, I don't know if you can put that into words or not. That might be a too hard of a challenge, but, but give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I will say I've never actually tasted a European violet. Oh, so interesting. Oh. I can't quite talk about that. Although I do have, remember the ant I was talking about uh -huh. earlier, yes. the great ant? Uh -huh. I do have her perfume bottle, which is a violet perfume. Wow. And oh, and it still smells today. So if you if you take the top off, you can smell it. And it is a very, well, it's very strong, but not in a, not in a pungent way. It's it's sweet. It's mm. a really sweet fragrance. Um, so, wow. It's, it's yeah. It's like a. I don't know. It, it it's honestly it really does lend itself to, like, a almost like a candy flavor. Mm. So um, yeah, that that may be part of why, you know sort of evolved as a tradition but um, that that bottle's yeah. super cool i know the audience can't see this but could you hold that up for for <laughs> sure. me again is, i mean how old is that bottle that is super cool oh let's see probably if there's a date, date on, on there there's yeah. no date on there but i mean she was this i mean definitely she was born 100 years before me so can you read what the, the yeah text it on the says uh richard richard hudnut in new york and it says violet sec, violet water. Um, but this is, I will say, extremely strong for being violet water. It, I mean, there's, there's nothing really left in the bottle except uh -huh. you can kind of see this like residue at the bottom, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that is what is still so incredibly fragrant. Wow. Um, yeah, I wish I could. I wish you could smell it. It's really cool. I know. Cool. So, yeah, that, that's, we haven't got that technology yet. Yeah, not quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> very, very interesting. Um, okay, another one of my may, maybe I can surprise you facts. I didn't know this until recently, but it was super interesting to me um, that apparently violets, many of the violas, and I guess European violets, have the ability to temporarily desensitize your nose. So if you smell a violet too much, you can stop smelling it. That's right. Yeah, the Which chemical is, in that fragrance is yeah, it has that effect on you. And and this is where maybe uh, maybe I, I just so I, I didn't surprise you with the fact, but the chemical is called ionone. Ionone, yeah. which is a, which is a uh, a ketone. My wife's a chemist, so I ha I can throw ah. out some chem chemistry words here and there. <laughs> I love but it. yes, so that is super interesting. Uh, that it yeah desensitizes the receptors of your nose, and so um, it's a smell that you can't. Uh, overindulgent, I guess, because it, it's like nature's way of being like, okay, you've had it, you've had enough. <laughs> Isn't I think that, that cool? Was so it almost like numbs your nose, is what yeah. you're saying. Oh, yeah, wow. it desensitizes the receptors of your nose so that your nose can no longer smell. I don't know if it's just that smell or if it's like 
all smells temporarily or mm-hmm. like it desensitizes those so that but that's pretty interesting this um individual compound called io known named after io chemists like doing that at, yeah. you know yeah <laughs> uh, very, very interesting. But yeah, I didn't know that. So I have to try that again with with the violets. But I guess I have to find the European violet because you said the the ones here don't have a yeah. Have a they smell. they do not have a smell or a particularly strong flavor here. No. Interesting. Um, what 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 else do you have on your list there? Fun facts and dazzling details. Well, I do have another story about violets associated with Napoleon. Oh, yeah. I, I did not expect that. Right. So. It was actually Napoleon's favorite flower, Mm. the violet was, and he was referred to as Corporal Violet during his time. (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's adorable. Yeah, his supporters would wear little violets in their buttonholes. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. Now, the reason why violets were his favorite flower has to do with his wife, Josephine. So, so the story goes that Napoleon met Josephine one evening at a ball and instead of wearing, you know, jewelry and necklaces made of, you know, gemstones, Josephine had fashioned a little garland of violets and she was wearing that and he was enchanted Mm. so their romance ensued and they were married um just a few months later actually much to the dismay of his family because she was six years older than he was and a widow with children so that was um, scandalous yeah for both (laughs) (laughs) but he didn't care he married her anyway and um so she wore a dress that was embroidered with violets and carried a little bouquet of violets. And she apparently said, you know, from this day forward, I want violets on my anniversary, you know, until the day I die. So that's what she got. (laughs) He sent her a bouquet of violets every year on their wedding anniversary even though they were divorced <laughs> at a certain point. Um, yeah, so at a, a, as I, I can't remember exactly how many years, they, they were married for quite some time, but at a certain point, it was clear that she was not going to bear an heir. So, mm-hmm. so he divorced her and um, he married, and I quote, a womb, <laughs> right? In order to have an heir. But he never stopped loving Josephine, even though he divorced her and continued, as I said, to send her violets every year on their wedding anniversary. And when she died, he planted violets on her grave. And a few years later, when he died, they found some of those violets tucked into a little locket that he wore uh, close to his heart. So, yeah, kind of a... Yeah, a real you know, sentimental side he had, which nobody. <laughs> I feel really like thinks I feel about. like that's a common story a little bit where these like you know macho men are often compensating for their super tenderness, and there's like the the toxic mas- masculinity of like what you're supposed to do, um, 
yeah, like, like <laughs> he, he can't express himself. So I'm going to take over all of Europe. Like to conquer it, the world. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's probably a lot of motivation. So that's really interesting. I wonder what she thought about getting the bouquets, uh, like after the divorce. Was she was she charmed, or was she like? Come on, Napoleon! <laughs> like, again, I know I, I said think it, but I, you know, my understanding is that she now. Uh, okay, here's my understanding: neither one of them were ever faithful in the marriage. Okay, but they adored each other, and they continued to adore each other until the end. So, kind of an interesting story in that regard, because you know we all want that sort of fairy tale story but um but it doesn't always work out that way right yeah so yeah yeah very yeah. interesting yeah and i wow. you know I, i'd always thought of him as you know kind of a jerk mm -hmm. but <laughs> but this this changed a little bit of interesting the, interesting yeah. yeah that that's that's pretty fascinating i never knew i mean i feel like that's also something doesn't happen now of like uh like a strong man being referred to as as a flower, right? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, there, Corporal you know? Violet. Yeah, right? yeah, that's, yeah. That's... And then when he, you know, when he became there, the, you know, there was what he was. He was, you know, exiled, right? Mm -hmm. And so at that point, apparently, you know, violets were sold in bouquets on the street mm -hmm. all around. Paris and France and all over Europe. But in France in particular, once he was exiled, well, you couldn't find a violet anywhere. <laughs> like, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. They're they, like, we're, yeah wow. we're done with violets. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. You can tell that you were like not a great guy if you ruined flowers for a whole country. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. Oh my Such gosh. a good point. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if you, so. Right. So if you were kind of, as I said, his supporters used to wear violets in their buttonholes. So mm -hmm. from that point forward, like you were not caught with the violet because the flowers were yeah, you, with right, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. You would, you know, get beheaded or, you know, be considered a traitor. So yeah, yeah, he kind of, he kind of ruined, ruined that. Him. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is some fascinating flower history. Like, like you can't, wow, yeah. It, it's interesting how so much history is so intertwined with plants that we kind of overlook. And mm -hmm. that's one I had no clue about. That was really interesting. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, and, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting too because most people, or I should say, you know, many gardeners in particular consider violets just kind of a common weed. Mm. Um, yet there is this incredibly rich and long history um, associated with them both culturally and medicinally. So it is interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I, on, on that point, I, I said earlier that I, uh, I realized that these flowers are meaningful to me. Um, yeah. and, and that's because um, my daughter was born in February and that is the birth month flower it's violets, and That's I didn't know that. Right. I never thought about that, but so now Aww. this is thing. So we, uh, my wife and I, have you know uh, incorporated violet colors into a lot of things she's wearing, and it's one of those things that I wonder if she's going to grow up really thinking violets are great and the color is really great because of you know our influence. But yeah, I never even thought about violets, but now it has a special moment because it's it's her birth flower. 
Isn't that sweet? I yeah. love that. And isn't it wonderful that you're incorporating some of that into her world? That's really charming. I love yeah. it. So that's it. Okay, I, I think I have one. I have one more, maybe surprising fact for you, and then maybe anything else we want to we want to close with. Um, but speaking of the color violet, is interest, which is interesting, and and this is away from the flower a little bit. But the the color violet, of course, is because of the flower. We call the color violet. But I was curious a little bit about like, well, what's the difference between violet and purple? Hmm. And, and some people might say that they're the same, two different words for the same thing. But I, I guess more scientifically, violet is the color in the, uh, the visible light spectrum that is the furthest towards the ultraviolet. Actually, ultraviolet is also a pretty cool word. It's above violet. It's the violet we cannot see. Mm. But violet, is, and so violet refers to specific single wavelengths of light that are in that range just after blue in the, in the, in the rainbow. Whereas purple is a combination of violet, blue, and red, and any combination of those, like blending together, makes purples. But uh-huh. violets are specific single wavelengths in that part of the spectrum. Oh, that's so interesting. I'd never thought of it in those terms before. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so violet is actually, it's, it's, it's a it's a certain kind of light. It's a pure wavelength of light. It's a pure color. It's a color that our eyes perceive specifically as opposed to being a blend of different colors of light, which a lot of the colors we see are that. I see. Um, but if you look at a rainbow and you look at that edge after blue and you see mm-hmm. the purple down there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is true violet. And those are specific wavelengths. I have it written down here between 380 and 435 nanometers is what is scientifically defined as violet. Wow. Yeah. That is a dazzling, dazzling fact. I love it. Yeah, and oh Isaac gosh. Newton is the one who defined that range, but we've been talking about violet as a color for longer than that. He's just the one who realized, Oh, it's, it's a, it's one of the fundamental colors that we mm. can perceive. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really, but I, really cool. I didn't think until I said it that ultraviolet is this whole cool thing of like, <laughs> like that's the thing we talk about all the time, ultraviolet radiation, right? right? And and like that's you get right. sunburns from too, you get, you get burned from too much violet. It's, <laughs> it's the violet that's sweet, <laughs> that we can't see. Yeah, that is so cool. Yeah, you say it so often, you just don't even realize the association, right? Yeah. That's really cool. Oh my god. Yeah, goodness. it's the violet beyond the violet we can see. So anyway, that's that's what I have as far as surprising facts about violet. And I cheated a little bit because I got actually away from the flower. <laughs> I, I oh, that's the, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. I went to the other things like the the you know, iodine gas and uh, and the violet, the color and things. Oh, but it's all my, associated. Yeah. I think that's so fun. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Do you have wonderful. any fun facts or details we missed on your list there that we really need to talk about violets? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we covered most of it. I guess the only other thing I would say is we sort of started with Shakespeare. So mm. I'll maybe end with Shakespeare. I totally forgot that you yeah. had a Shakespeare quote to share. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and again, this is specifically about pansies, but mm. we're going to, we're going to say they're all in the same family, which yes. of course they are, yes, which they indeed. are. So Shakespeare does in A Midsummer Night's Dream. He there's a quote that says the juice of it, referring to the pansy, on sleeping eyelids laid will make a man or woman madly dote on the next live creature it sees. 
So that is when they, I guess, Oberon put some pansy juice on Titania's eyelids, and that's why she fell in love with the ass. So, uh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is that speaks to that really long tradition of violets being used in association with love or love potions, you know? Mm. So, yeah, apparently Shakespeare was was very much aware of that and used it in A Midsummer Night's Dream. And, and, and to, to uh, his own Shakespearean comical interpretation, I guess. Really <laughs> exactly. good at like, taking those things and twisting and tw- them. And twisting it and turning it into some uh, wonderful, uh, yeah, comedic moment. Indeed. Um, uh, but before we go, um, Nina, I understand that you recently have like launched a new Substack. I wanted to give you a chance to ch- chat about that before before yeah, we go. Yeah, that's right. I'm really excited. So I have a Substack. It's called Flora and Forage, and it's a newsletter for plant passionate people. Very so, interesting. Yeah. And, and what what kind? Of, I think I I've, I have, I think I have an earlier incarnation of that that I've been getting. Um, what what's what's uh, what's new about this, and what what can people expect to to learn uh, from you uh, in this in the Substack? Right. Well, Flora and Forge will be a a newsletter that focuses on all kinds of flower powered fun. Right. I mean. I talk about foraging, I talk about flower folklore, as well as different kind of plant identification tips, all kinds of things like that. So if you're into plants, it's it might be might be something that, yeah, you would find interesting. Well, I, I'm definitely signed up and looking forward to it in audience if you if you if you haven't like, seen Nina's stuff out there. She's very uh, entertaining, but also a, a font of knowledge about all sorts of plant stuff. So uh, it's going to be a really interesting way to, to, to learn more. Um, and I'm sure there'll probably be some violent content in there. Not violent, violent content in there at some time, <laughs> oh, at some absolutely. point, amongst other things. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, wonderful, Nina. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Oh, Steve, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate the invitation and it has been wonderful to talk about violets with you. Steve here, back in the forest, and uh, it is actually raining now. You can hear that it got a little bit more intense. But I'm still not really getting wet because of all the leaves, so thank you trees, thank you leaves for keeping me dry. But what a wonderful conversation with Nina about violets. And now I'm going to attempt to connect violets to the pawpaw. And I'm gonna do that through literature. You know, when we were speaking with Nina, we talked a lot about literature and violets and we heard some stuff from William Shakespeare about violets and that had me thinking what other kinds of poems and literature are out there that have to do with violets 
and I came upon this poem by Emily Dickinson, and it's called Almost, with an exclamation point, and I'm going to read that now. Almost, within my reach, I could have touched, I might have chanced that way, soft sauntered through the village, sauntered soft away, so unsuspected violets within the fields lie low, too late for striving fingers that passed an hour ago. Now, what does that have to do with pawpaws? Uh, as you might know from the pawpaw episode, pawpaws are only ripe for a very short window. And today I did not collect any pawpaws because it turns out I was a bit too early and they're not ripe yet. I think with a lot of things in wild plants and plants in general, they have this very specific time window and this ephemeralness that means that you need to be ready to make a choice, to see them, to gather them, to be with them. And I think that poem illustrates it very nicely. And I think that idea of having to make a choice and maybe the regret you get when you don't make the correct choice and you miss something is a very common experience. And I think something related to the violets in the poem. And my experience today with the pawpaws uh, that I was unable to collect. So yes, I'm looking forward to next year when I can find the pawpaws again and they don't slip through my striving fingers. Uh, and with that, let's just end the episode. Thanks for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Nina Vedito. Nina is a longtime forager, explorer, plant lover, and art maker living in the Blue Ridge Mountains. You can sign up for her newsletter, Flora and Forage, at blueridgebotanic.com, and there will be links in the show notes. Rootbound is hosted by a guy who hopes he never ruins a flower for a whole country, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Krigoskota. Fake ads by David Alani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, make sure to put on some sunscreen so you don't get burnt by that violet we can't see. What's that smell? It's fragrance!